Welcome to this week's episode of the Radio Oedipus podcast, the podcast where we explore the culture of beer. And I'm your host, Danny Walker. Thanks for listening for what is episode number 26. I do recommend you check out some of the earlier episodes. You can head over to our website and there you will find all previous episodes of the podcast and also mixes recorded live from our taproom by our resident DJs. The address is oedipus.com forward slash radio. The podcast is also available by searching Radio Oedipus on whichever podcast app you may use. On to today's show, Sander Nadevain, the co-founder and head brewer of Oedipus, joins me on the show, and our guest is Simon Parrott, aka The Beef Chief. If the mark of a true chef is mastering a simple dish, then Simon Parrott has truly earned his title, The Beef Chief. We've been enjoying his burgers at our taproom ever since it opened. In our conversation, Simon gives us a step-by-step guide to making the ultimate burger, He discusses the blend of his meat, discovering his signature, the kimchi burger, and starting out working in a food truck. We also discuss a beer by the Colonel Brewery, and there's the quiz, and all that on today's episode of the Radio Oedipus podcast. We are joined by Simon Parrott. How are you, mate? I'm fine, thank you. Nice to be here again. Yeah, good, good. Welcome back. Simon Parrott, a.k.a. The Beef Chief, is here to give us a burger masterclass. We know Simon as he's been serving burgers in the taproom ever since it opened. Not to toot your horn too much, but the Beef Chief burgers have been hailed as the best in Amsterdam by various people over the years. Today I want to shine a light a little bit on yourself to try and understand your craftsmanship and love that goes into those burgers. A lot of thought goes into making the perfect burger, and it's something lots of people have an opinion uh, on. You can talk a lot about the flavour and the taste that goes into the perfect burger, but it's also something that involves kind of a range of emotions, would you say? Definitely, yes. It's like the ultimate comfort food. Yeah, and it's ultimately customisable. Yeah. So therefore, people uh, feel like they can do what they like with it. Yeah. What do you think it is about the burger that makes it so desirable? I don't know. I was thinking a little bit about this. Um, about food. When, 10 years ago or tonight? <laughs> no, today. today uh, in the shower. Um, and like, what, certain food groups just are exciting, aren't they? I can't like, why is pizza so good? Why do people go and eat pizza at least once a month, probably? Um, if you go to a decent pizzeria, <clears throat> you you recommend people to it. There's something magical about it. I think it's the same with sandwiches. If you have a great sandwich, you kind of remember that for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, burgers are in that group, I think. Um, and I think people um, nowadays realize how good they can be. Mm-hmm. That's what I think, basically. Mm. Whereas, you know, in the past, um, they were a trashy kind of cheap uh, food group. Mm-hmm. Whereas now that's that's changed. Mm. It's also like, the, the yeah, the kind of accessibility of it. I always think about it as... I know that every pub, bar, or cafe, you can probably get a half decent burger, you know, and and that'll do me good. Yeah, I was. If I waffle on too much, please tell me. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. But I was thinking, also thinking about this. So I was going back in way back in my um, my memory banks, and yeah. So I guess most people's in, entry to burgers is is fast food burgers. Yeah, everyone's had a McDonald's at some point in their life. Um, snack bar burgers here in Holland. Um, in England, it would have been the same. Um, you could have gone to the Wimpy and had it on a plate with a knife and fork, which was kind of like a slight semi-posh, trashy kind of uh, fast food burger. Mm-hmm. Um, or you're in a pub. Um, oh, I've lost my train of thought. You no, can, but they, you they also range, and they're, and they're all kind of acceptable in that form as well you accept that the trashy fast food one is cheap and cheerful and then the gourmet burger that you get from the pub is also it's two different products as well it's a totally different thing but that was only what was available to people i think and then what happened is with the revolution of the specialist which i think happened in the late like 2000s whether it was a brewers or coffee producers or people that make wine. Um, I think with the onset of The Specialist, people started opening restaurants that could recognise niche things uh, and take them to a different level, basically. Is there a term for it? Because there's craft beer and... Special beer. (laughs) Specialty coffee, where there's also really a quality indicator we learned from uh, Kees Kraakman the other day. Is there... 
Is it gourmet burger? The gourmet burger. The gourmet yeah. burger. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and, and within that, that's a very large scope, isn't it? Because mm. it can be a, you know, a stupid. Sorry, it can be a ridiculous burger with gold leaf painted on the oh, top yeah. of it to mm. try and make it expensive, or it can be something that isn't, uh, you know, pared down but considered ingredients. Mm-hmm. And I think that's 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 where the gourmet part is, isn't mm. it? So yeah, I think that that case. Is this a term you use? Would you call no, your burgers? It's, it's not as cool as craft, is it? I mean, like a craft brewery sounds quite impressive, doesn't oh, it? We're also but, struggling to find a Dutch word for it, I guess. Craft beer. Yeah. No, but, so, but yeah, that, that doesn't sound right, does it? It's the same as Ambachtelk sounds like gourmet mm. to me. I don't <laughs> oh, think yeah. it's something... Yeah, it's slightly off-putting, maybe. What I do think. you call it? We call our beer also, also often lekker beer. It's just yeah. tasty lekker. What about the uh, the, ul- the ultimate burger? Because I watched a lot of YouTube videos by celebrity chefs to try and get in the zone for this today. And like uh, all on YouTube, it's like the ultimate burger by Gordon Ramsay or the ultimate burger by Matty Matheson or oh, whoever. Ultimate, yeah. I mean, I, I don't really know. Craft. You wouldn't have the ultimate man. beer, would you? Artigianale. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm a craftsman. I like to think of it in that terms. Um, you know, I'm not a chef per se, um, but... That's the, the the craft aspect of something is being able to hone in on one thing and and learn about it yourself and uh, pull out the best parts of it um, to offer to others. Um, exactly. You don't have to like grow coffee beans to know how to make a great cup of coffee. But there's quite a lot in between that that you can control. Yeah. And it's the same with brewing. I, I think I think there's a lot of comparisons that can be drawn with. Um, I, I also think um, food trucks helped a lot. Yeah. So. Whilst it's become something, uh, I think, in the time that we live in now, a bit uncool, mm-hmm. I think, um, during the revolution of the start of the trend, which mm-hmm. was kind of in 2012, 2013, 2014, when you guys were also starting off selling beer and representing events, food trucks were around. You, may, you met stupid people like me <laughs> who were prepared to stand all day in Greece And talk rubbish to people yeah. about um, the finer points of making burgers. Um, I think that also helped to to turn people on to specialists. You see, I can imagine that was pretty um, tough work. You know, actually trying to stand out against different food trucks as well. How like kind of important was that in your journey to where you are now? Well, when I started, there wasn't very many food trucks. Yeah. Um, I, I think I was just in the right place at the right time. I happened to be introduced to a food truck in Berlin before I left in 2012 and they were making um, Mexican food and it blew me away a little bit. They had a very, very basic um, sort of set up in their, in their pretzel van that was still painted with pretzels on the side of it. And, uh, but they were San Franciscan couple had been exposed an awful lot to, um, to Mexican food, Californian style, and they could re- reproduce it. So they were making really, really mm. exciting burritos and taco plates. Mm-hmm. And um, they, it didn't matter what their background was. One, the guy was a like a computer programmer, but he just mm. knew how to make a killer, killer taco. Yeah, and I think that that's the the honesty of a food truck. Yeah, is that it enabled people that weren't necessarily because you know the, the gastronomy in general is um, people chefs. Um, be careful what I say here, but they, they think a lot of themselves, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and they, they're known they sc- to have an opinion, yes. aren't they, chefs? Yeah. And they school themselves really well, and they go and eat this in there and truffles from Piedmont or where, and you know, and uh, you know that, that's not the 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 bare bones of it uh, of a food truck, which is standing in front of someone, often putting yourself through some kind of pain for your craft mm-hmm. I always remember in the winter it's not very nice mm-hmm. because you know you stand in front of quite a hot grill um, but your head's cold and if you have a cold head there's, there's some grease coming off the grill I remember times when my eyelashes were white from beef lard uh, <laughs> oh, that's which is it's not very nice is no. it uh, but you know hopefully you know along the way someone tells you you look stupid so you can clean your face a bit but ultimately <laughs> it's uh, you're talking directly to the people you get an immediate reaction you must know that that was the fun of all those early days of all those festivals we did Sander is that you know you could 
give someone a burger and see what their reaction was. You could send, give them a drink, see what their reaction was. You could just measure it directly, and that feeds back into the energy of what you're doing, doesn't it? And, and, it's, and it's quite practical in building what you were doing, I guess, a little bit, because you could put uh, X burger on the menu and then see that it actually isn't very well received, and then you go, okay, well, the next time we do a food truck we're at food event, we're not going to put that burger on there. And you can constantly tweak what you do, I guess. Definitely. Is that how it works? Yeah, and, and we, we were quite ambitious in the beginning with the truck. We, we had like a six-burger menu, um, which, you know, in the small confines of the Citroen truck that we were working in, there's not much storage space. There's not much. There was a bit of refrigerated space, but not very much. Um, so if you wanted to be, you know, in the true nature of a truck on the road and portable, um, it limited what you could take. So very soon we realised that six burgers was too many. So we then pared it down to two. Mm-hmm. Um, we never went down the ve- vegetarian route from the truck because we always felt, you know, we have a grill and the air and the chef was covered in beef. Mm-hmm. So we decided that to try and like legitimately sell something that was vegetarian from the truck, it just wasn't worth or possible. I couldn't stand behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just did a simple option. Uh, more often, the first few years, we ended up doing a, a cheeseburger, mm-hmm. accessible to everybody, uh, and the kimchi burger, which is my uh, Achilles heel. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that I can no longer shake off. I have to be making until the day that I die they'll be served at my funeral probably yeah I, I have a question that I was going to ask you a bit later about like because uh, I mentioned all these YouTube videos that I watched and it seems like everyone that makes the ultimate burger has almost a signature would you say the kimchi burger would be your signature yeah definitely yeah, yeah. oh god damn it <laughs> uh, all right, no I mean like again like I understand why that, that, actually from a point of view of, of the, the practicalities of making the burger it's super easy to make. I mean, that, that burger's, once you've got all the ingredients together, um, the reason why we settled on that burger is because we could get a reaction from people because it was something they hadn't tasted very much, um, kimchi in general, let alone in a burger form. Um, so it gave us a sort of exotic option, uh, and it's super easy to make. So mm. that actually, if you've got a, you know, a 50-meter queue, which that happened really on, early on with the truck, we didn't really expect the reaction that we got from mm. people. So when you're under pressure and you've got to churn these things out, you need a simple thing to make. Mm. So the, the kimchi burger tipped all the ticked all those boxes. So all those yeah, also, boxes. I think it, it coincided a bit with the the growth of the, the slow food movement, I Definitely. guess, or that's what I saw when we were at festivals. But also has to do, I guess, then with the honesty, right, that you mentioned being in a food truck and then also the gained popularity of fermented foods and definitely at that time um a lot of people they ate kimchi for the first time from our food truck you know, they, hadn't, they hadn't had kimchi before oh. or really they didn't really know we had to come up with all these yeah. like very basic terms of describing what it was mostly we would say it's korean sauerkraut you yeah. know like for when one of a better description um and you know on the on the burger in context it acts like a pickle like mm. a relish and it's not then under, easy to understand that you have fatty meat you have a cheese you have a rich mayonnaise sauce you need something to cut through it which is why burgers uh, have pickles in general mm-hmm. and kimchi just offered the same kind of um, um, structure to the burger but with it not being so predictable mm-hmm. but it was very nice to talk to people about kimchi and you know with all this modern <laughs> I sound old again when I say that but <laughs> like when people talk, talk about reappropriating things I think we were really lucky that we we weren't making Korean food we were really making something that was our own yeah, yeah. but just with something that we'd kind of gathered on our travels if you know what I mean yeah like where, where did that idea come from to put kimchi on it because I, I, I've pretty much if it was 10 years ago it's well before this this trend that it's in now every tom dick and harry knows what kimchi is now but maybe 10 years ago not so i probably didn't no where did the where did you first discover so kimchi I, and think it was good on a burger yeah when i moved to berlin i i moved into a flat on a street called papal alley which is in Prenzlauerberg, and directly across from our flat was a a pretty nondescript looking restaurant called core and um, when I say nondescript, it wasn't flashy. It had a very small sign outside with some what I thought was Chinese writing on the window. 
um, and a very small menu of things that I didn't know what it was. And I also hadn't been exposed really to um, to Korean food at that time. Um, and then I started a business down the road and would often walk home late at night and the restaurant was always open. Uh, one day I wandered in there and actually it turned out to be like the most awesome place ever. It was very typical Berlin sort of Altbau ground floor. They had a kitchen at the front and a small restaurant and then this enormous Korean family lived at the back. No way. Um, which you could like see them if you went like when you got to know them you could tell like oh he's having a shower and you know kind of thing <laughs> wandering around in their slippers literally um but the grandma used to make the kimchi and then i think we had like bulgogi i don't know if you know what this is but it's no. like it's a short rib beef short rib cut on the cross the bone um often served in a lettuce taco style that you roll up and you eat so it's like a carb free um taco right say that um and it's garnished with kimchi and that was where i was really first exposed to it mm. um and then i really liked it so when i realized geez there's this place across the road mm. from my house i really like the food it's super cheap it was very honest and authentic um i got to know them because i was literally their neighbor mm. and that was where i was really turned on to korean food so introduction to kimchi kimchi and then I have a friend, Gene Suing, uh, who's from St. Louis. He's American. He thinks he makes a great burger. And there was always a bit of rivalry. Um, a friend of mine lived in a house that had a garden, which is quite a rare thing in Berlin. Uh, so as soon as, whenever the sun shone, we, like, maniacs went right. out and, and barbecued. Oh, nice. So we would uh, go out with a portable record player and drink beer and make burgers or whatever we were making on the grill but burgers were the thing because it became competitive because gino from america thought he had the great burger yeah yeah so we'd all take some stuff there and one day uh i bought some kimchi from the restaurant across the road right and took it there and made a burger ah, okay and, and actually the the burger that i made in that garden and I didn't know that I would end up making a living from it, you know, like at the right, time. Yeah. It was just fun. But the burger I made in that garden, I took mayonnaise, I took sambal, I took lime juice, and I took some sesame oil, and I made a like a samurai mayonnaise with it, um, which is what we make now uh, no for the burger. It doesn't need anything more than that. And I think that's like with burgers, you have to be quite restrained, don't you? Yeah. You don't want to go too far. And like, in my opinion, um, it's about balance of taste. Mm-hmm. Um, tasting yep. all the ingredients that you use, but anyway, so that 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 um, the burger that we made in the in the garden is pretty much what we make now. Um, the, the framework for the future. Yeah, yeah. Nice. I mean, the cheese the cheese is, is a little bit different, and that is also like a happy coincidence. So I came to, Ber- to I left Berlin, and then I decided I was going to start a food truck. I was going to be a taco truck. It was going to because I was really into these guys that I'd met in Berlin that yeah, were making yeah. these San Franciscan things. It was going to be called Gonzo Taco. And I'd gone quite a long way uh, down the the route of thinking about how to do it and designing logos and things like that. And um, then a friend of uh, my partner's said, how many do you need to sell a day to make money? So I was like, oh, I don't know. And, it, and then I was like, yeah, you know, like 400. And he was like, no one in Holland knows, this was like in 2012, no one knows what a taco is. Yeah. Like the only Mexican we have really here is, if you live in the city at Los Pilones, the, the average Mexican restaurant in Amsterdam, there was nothing else. There was Tacamundo, which is like real trashy and not good. Yeah. Um, so he was like, are you prepared for the education process you need to go through with turning people onto what Mexican food is, what a taco is? Uh, and I was like, oh, wow, I didn't think of that. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I, I want to make money and, and like, you know, I start a business and, and, and have success. And he said, I, you know, you should consider if it's the right thing to do. Yeah. So I, um, I looked around a bit and I realized that there was a bit of a burger revolution going on in the world. And there's a lot of new burger restaurants opening in London particularly. Um, and I went there and I, I ate a few of them. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty excited. About Where was the standout spot in, in London? 
Um, well, I really like it's a chain now, Byron Burger, when they first started. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. quite a big He's chain. Been in like all the train stations yeah, and they, stuff they, now they, as well. They're very successful. I mean, they, they, they have like hundreds of sites now. Yeah. Um, but in 2012, they've just kind of started off. Um, there was, I believe, there was a pub called in West London. I went there once. It was like a pilgrimage. And it was, it was called the Admiral Codrington. Okay, and Very in British the chef, name. it is, and another British name. The chef was called Fred Smith, right? Okay, and he was absolutely famous in London for making this crazy burger. So we went and we ate in this pub, this like exceptional burger that was super simple. It wasn't a complicated thing. It just good bread, good meat, and someone that cared about making it good. Yeah, yeah. And it blew me away, and I thought, wow, this everyone eats burgers. Let's 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 make burgers. Yeah. So then we changed the name, uh, changed our idea and tact a little bit, and um, yeah, came up with a, a new name. We felt it had to be sort of catchy and and rhyme a bit because it stays in your head. Yeah. Um, and we built the truck, but the reason why I'm saying all this is because the first event I ever did when I when I moved to Amsterdam uh, to Holland, I lived in Leiden. Mm-hmm. I used to drink in a small pub there called the Bontecou. I sh- assume there's quite a lot of pubs called the Bontecou in Holland. But this particular pub is in an old butcher shop. Oh, the really? story goes that the guy um, that that he built this butcher shop, which has got these beautiful sort of Delft tiles on the wall, and then he died, and he never opened the butcher shop. No way. And someone opened a cafe in it because it looked so beautiful. And this is where this pub is. So I live around the corner in Leiden. I used to go and drink there. Um, and the guy that owned the the, the bar um, was a massive soft machine fan, this band from, uh, oh, yeah, from yeah. Kent. And so we, we struck up uh, a lot of conversations. Um, and they had a cheese on offer, like as cubed cheese, like a pub snack. Yeah. And every year to support the farm that they bought their cheese from, um, they did a small event on the farm with a bluegrass band when the cows were released back into the field. I think a lot of cheese farmers do this. Um, but when they released the cows back into the field after the winter, because in the winter they don't make cheese because these farmers, they just think that it should be pasture-fed, grass-fed cattle. Um, so in the winter they're housed indoors and when they're released the cows are very excited to go outside. I don't know if you've ever seen them. They walk out and they kick their heels together. They're very excited. Beautiful moment. It is. So we cross band, perfect. Exactly. <laughs> so we, we'd um, and and so this pub, this guy, it's great beer. He goes to Belgium. He's got a really old license to go and just drive to Belgium to pick beer up, not paying tax on it, and he can just drive it back and sell it in his pub. Um, he puts several taps there and mm-hmm. invites all his friends and the people that drink in the bar, and everyone mm-hmm. goes to the farm, drinks some beers, blah blah. So I have a truck that wasn't built. It was painted on the outside but it didn't have a kitchen in it and this guy uh franz his name is he asked me would you go and sell some uh burgers on this event so i was like oh the, sure yeah on the farm yeah. so i was like yeah wow it'll be my first event so sure let's do it let's support something local right um it's a cheese farm and he said yeah so i was like can i use the cheese on my burger and he said sure great and it just so happens that that was a killer move because the the unpasteurized uh, farmer's cheese, which it is, mm-hmm. very grassy, has a very specific flavor, mm-hmm. just goes really well with kimchi. Oh, yeah? And I had the kimchi burger. So, what is it about? Is it because it's quite creamy? And I don't know what it is. It's just the two things just really lock together. And we try to simplify it because it's, over the years, been a bit of a bind going to the same bloody farm, mm. which is not in Amsterdam. So you know you're still what? using his cheese as well? Yeah, all right. So, yeah. So, yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, so the, the the actual farmer stopped making cheese. Okay. Um, he quit. He had had enough of it. He was an old man as well, so I guess he retired. And um, his family went to work in a cheese farm around the corner. And um, that's where I went, naturally migrated yeah, to yeah, them. Yeah. And they have a very similar kind of, it's a kind of chowder cheese, but okay, a okay, okay. cass. It's grassy, it's unpasteurized, it's got a lot of flavor, a bit too funky for some people, actually. Mm-hmm. The, the middle-aged one has a sort of slightly ammonia 
kind of mm. cheesy flavour. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just, when we melt it on the kimchi, it goes really, really well. Mm. Um, so another happy coincidence on the journey, you know, you start off grilling burgers in your mate's garden in Berlin, and then you move to uh, Holland and before... Picked up influencer yeah, as you've gone, really. Yeah, and it's... I think like most of those things, then you have a story to tell. Yeah. When you arrive in a food truck at a food festival, you have the story to tell. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what that's, was part of the success. And I think like things taste better with a story. Mm-hmm. I think they do, genuinely. Yeah, there's definitely. a story There's a bit more of a it. personal aspect to it, isn't there? Totally. Yeah. Let's uh, crack open the beer we've got in front of us. We've got a beer by the Colonel, Export India Porter. Um, it's porter season now. So we, the Colonel are from London, uh, quite a well-known modern craft brewery. Um yeah, six point one percent. Let's um, yeah, we'll talk about this as we go. But I want to kind of dive into the specifics of uh, the burger with you, Simon. You've already said quite a lot already. But let's discuss the patty. What is like the key element in there? What what goes in your patty? What what's in there? Again, there's 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 many different ways of doing it. Um, I believe that if you use good meat. Mm-hmm. You don't need to uh, cover it with any seasonings. I yeah. only season it when it hits the grill. So in our patty, we we use um, a chuck and a brisket, which is a classic American brand, mm-hmm. uh, American blend. Blend, yeah, yeah. Um, um, and then fat, fat content comes into play, and that's the hardest bit because um, too little fat, Without putting a binding agent in mm-hmm. your uh, burger, which mm-hmm. could be breadcrumbs or egg or egg white or something mm-hmm. like that, um, you need the right fat content to create the glue to hold it together. Mm-hmm. So a fat content of about 15% is kind of what's considered to be the best. Mm-hmm. And then there's different kinds of fat that you can use mm. uh, to generate flavor. So um, when we first started, we also used the short rib. So mm-hmm. we had brisket chuck brisket short rib Mm -hmm. in equal quantities with a 15% fat content. Uh, But what we found is that that on the short rib, because the meat comes off the bone, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of... uh, More flavour there. It's a bit more... Well, it's just harder for the butcher to trim. So all these nerve endings and these sinew, we call it in English, uh, but the connective tissue between the bones Mm -hmm. is really hard and chewy. It's Mm -hmm. not very nice to get in a burger. And it takes quite an expert to be able to trim all the meat down lean enough to put it into the blend. And this is the other thing. So our meat is only ground once on a five millimeter hole. Mm-hmm. Um, most burgers go through a smaller hole at least twice. Why is that? Because most burgers are not using specific cuts of meat. Okay. They're using any old things that were left over. Yeah. So you're um, preserving the quality of the meat there by getting good quality meat, I guess. Sure. And you let, you, you, yeah, you lay it, you lay it bare. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're using all the leftovers that has all this rubbery sinew in, you have to grind it really, really small. Otherwise you, you, you have a hard bit in your burger. Mm-hmm. Um, so going the single grind route, also using a bigger hole, um, you, there's less room for error. Okay. So uh, when we first started, we did use short rib, and the butcher had a big problem with trimming it down in the right way. So mm. occasionally, you know, you'd be standing at the truck and someone would chow down on their burger and you'd mm. see them pull something out, which would be this cooked piece of uh, connective tissue, which is sort of like, it is literally like rubber. Really? So you don't want to chew on that, and it didn't make me feel very good watching people do that. Mm. So then we, we cut that out of our blend, um, and now, yeah, so it's chuck and brisket, 15% fat, but a percentage of that fat that we use is from bone marrow. Mm. So that creates an amazing bone marrow as an amazing, because I guess it's incredibly yeah, what high cholesterol. Of, what what flavours are you getting from the bone marrow? It's incredibly, what like, animally. Yeah, for want of a bad description, uh, it has that very beefy flavour okay. that you get from suet and, yeah. and lard, basically. Yeah, deep and, um, and but also creamy, right? The texture, creamy. Yeah, that's and that's 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 a very important thing. It, it coats the mouth uh, in a very specific way. It creates juiciness. Mm-hmm. 
Um, that's what we want in a good patty. I think so. Yeah. And like, uh, I was, I know a lot of, I have a lot of people berate me for not cooking medium or medium rare. I was never very motivated by that, actually. Mm -hmm. I always found that didn't ever change the product for me. Uh, whether, well, whether something it was, was more pink no, or... you know, and I know that some people like a rare steak, and a rare steak I also like myself. But in a burger, do you want rare meat with an origin that you don't know? Uh, it's ground meat, which means the outside becomes the inside, which is why there's all these rules about temperature and probing things. Mm -hmm. It seems to complicate it a lot, uh, complicate it a lot for me. So if you cook the right kind of meat with the right con fat content and you don't overcook it, then uh, you don't need to undercook it to make mm -hmm. it taste good. Um, so I was never that worried about that. Mm -hmm. um, and also a key is seasoning. So if you introduce salt in the grinding process, it changes the texture of the meat. Uh, it makes it more paste-like. Yeah. And it sticks together, much like sausage meat, and you lose texture. So mm -hmm. we always liked it. When it's it's much better to leave it unseasoned, uh, unseasoned with salt and through the grinder once, and then you can see the small bits of meat that you have, and when you put it together into its patty form, um, it, you chew it. It creates a sort of steaky sensation. I think that's part of the characteristic of our product. Mm. And I think that was, at the beginning, I was very um, uptight and obsessed with authenticity mm -hmm. and then now i realize that you make your own kind of authenticity so we have our own style of burger it's a beef chief burger mm -hmm. and i think uh realizing that was very important for me and how does that authenticity come do you uh, do you have like a butcher and what sort of conversations would you have with this butcher in order to get the right flavors in your burger yeah so being a, a sort of a bit of a geek yeah. I, I was liked information so i did a lot of research at the beginning um, and there's um, there's a, an American food blog called Serious Eats. Okay. And back then, there was a guy, I can't pronounce his name, his surname, but he's an American <laughs> uh, sort of kitchen experimenter. And he had a uh, a blog called The Burger Lab on mm -hmm. this on this uh, on this website, Serious Eats. And he would go into all these kind of things, like you know how you cut an onion can affect the flavour of it. Mm -hmm. um, how you grind the meat can affect the finished products on a burger. Yeah. So he had, there was, that was, I must admit, that was an enormous inspiration for me. Yeah. Um, and also he talks a lot about regionality. So like in Oklahoma, they have the smash and in Cuba, they have the frita and like in all these kind of right. like areas, they have a very special burger that's produced only there. Yeah. Um, and that also really fascinated me. Um, yeah. That actually, in America, of which I never travelled to, to to eat burgers in America, I would like to go, but um, they were, the inspiration was there because each region had its own kind of stamp on that one thing, which is pretty constant. It's mm -hmm. meat in bread, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, so you wanted to basically find your own here in the Netherlands, I guess. Then. Yeah, yeah, and uh, decide. You know, do you want to flame grill it? Do you want the flavour of of the flame? Mm -hmm. Do you want to? Um, do you want to cook it on a hot plate and get the, the caramelization on it? Like, how's your thing? The higher up in fat content you go, the less easy it is to work on a barbecue mm -hmm. or, or, or a charcoal grill. Because if you've got 15, 20% fat, as it drips out, it just catches fire. Yeah. So if you want the right fat content to create that mouth feel with the fat, you go down the route of a, of a, of a grill plate, of a flat top grill. Mm -hmm. um, because working with a grill, uh, a barbecue is not possible. Are you still are you still doing research like that in order to try and figure out new recipes? Less, or, less so. Less but, so. Uh, or is it more in your own kitchen trying out things? Yeah, that that and, and as I say, the the region. There's this guy. Uh, everyone should check it out. Um, so first we feast, which is another American food channel. They they also do this uh, hot ones where they hot make, ones. Yeah, make yeah, celebrities yeah. eat eat spicy wings and then they interview them as they're doing it yeah we're not um, doing that today with beer no, <laughs> no that could be good um but uh they do this thing uh called the burger show which is run by a very uh presented by a very enthusiastic chef from california mm -hmm. or filipino roots 
And he got involved with this guy called George Motz, who's mm-hmm. a burger historian. Oh, yeah? wow. Um, they exist. Is, yeah, I think there's only one. It's only him. And uh, every every series of this, this, they do like these sort of like 10-minute YouTube shows. Yeah. He'll come up with this kind of, uh, hey, this is how they do it in uh, Seattle. Uh, only in this place can you get this specific thing. Yeah. Uh, I think that interests me a bit more now, the more regionality rather than foie gras and kimchi combined and or like right, I, right. I think i kind of went through all that kind of thing mm. um pairing down getting the most out of your ingredients interests me so simplifying i guess yeah, I yeah. So. but, but it took it a long time to 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 establish this beef blend and fat content or was it sort of okay this in the bone marrow uh or is this there's something that you it's pretty instant actually yeah. i mean and then you kept it yeah, in the More in the butcher shop when I started, I worked with um, a very talented butcher in Amsterdam, Slagerij de Witt, uh, Eric, and he was very interested also in the journey. Like this crazy geeky English guy walks in, he wants to make the best burger in Holland. Yeah. Um, he's got all these ideas that are not the same ideas that you already have in your shop, so he's quite interested in it. So we tried loads of things like brisket. We tried just lean burgers. We tried putting really expensive cuts of meat in burgers. You know, there's a there's an entrecote grind well and taste well. And actually, the answer is, in my opinion, not. I think the cheaper cuts work better. Um, they give better texture. Um, and then it's down to how you handle it and how you season it and how you grill it. And there's many different ways of doing that too. Mm-hmm. Um, well, in recent, in recent times, you have uh, changed your menu a bit, though, haven't you? you you've got a veggie burger on the menu. Uh, and more, and really recently, Lean started working with you, our mutual friend. And you've told me that that has kind of allowed for more innovation and working on new menu items, let's say. Yeah. How much do you pay, pay attention to other trends within the food kind of world and what other bars and restaurants are doing? And how much does that affect your menu? Um. Yeah, a lot. I mean, absolutely pay no attention to what's happening in Holland. <laughs> and and I don't mean that in an arrogant way. I just think it's too close to home. So I, I actually think that maybe that's partly one of the success, part of the success of the Beef Chief is is looking a bit further afield. Yeah. Um, I, London and England, obviously, being home country, hometown, um, that... It inspires me an awful lot, and there's loads of people pushing the envelope there of new things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say that, yeah, I keep, I keep an eye on... It's good ideas. People have good ideas, don't they? Right, I saw yeah. it the other day, and someone's like, they made gravy mayo. And I was oh, like... Oh, really? Why didn't I... That, like, I've got gravy in my kitchen. I've got mayo. I've never put them together. But like, it's a great idea, in my opinion. It's a great, <laughs> it's a great idea to add up this like umami beefy thing that if you're making a burger with gravy mayo in it I mean, or a chicken burger, I think both are good with fries, right? Totally. Gravy so I, I think like you know mayo. that that when mayonnaise and <clears throat> gravy uh, meld together, I think that there's a lot of potential there. But I never thought of that. So mm. I, I think that's they're the kind of things that I look out for. I'm mm-hmm. like, all oh, right, they have a great idea. I can steal that from them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or yeah, geez, like this is staring me in the face. Um, someone needed to kick me in the ass to go and do it. It's nice to work with Lean, who's um, obviously much more vegetarian in nature. Mm-hmm. And we are, it, it's very exciting to think of new things to mm. do and to realize hey, you know, let's open our menu up, let's make it more inclusive in the brewery. Um, and also, if we go on to something else, then we have an enormous repertoire of things that we've been through. Mm. Um, but we you, just just to interrupt, Simon, you, you spoke quite at length and quite passionately about the beef itself. Does, like, do you still get the same thrill from working with, like, a veggie patty? Or going through that same process, looking for something like a vegetarian alternative. Yeah, we're working with Thomas uh, from the Bad House at the moment on a tempeh yeah. uh, idea. Um, a lot of fast food, particularly fast food items like burgers and pizzas and shawarma. Uh, there's people making vegetarian versions of those things, but they're always in the fake meat kind of angle, right? And that's not what interests me. I think let's let's. Like, there's some amazing uh, vegetarian things out there. I think tempeh is a trend that's going to come because it it's tasty. It's easy to make at home, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's super healthy. 
for mm-hmm. people that are not eating meat. I think mm-hmm. it supplements quite a lot of protein in their diet, the right kind of protein. So I think like those things are much more interesting to me mm-hmm. uh, to develop things. Um, again, it comes back down to fermentation as well, and that's also something that that as, is interesting as, to you. Yeah, and, and re. All the time, but occasionally comes back of, oh, yeah, look, great, let's ferment that, or mm. let's go and do that, or let's make a hot sauce with fermented yeah. uh and scorpion peppers and things like that, you know. And, and, like, you know, you bring those things back in in different ways and bring them onto your menu. That's mm. what interests me a lot. And, and besides the kind of flavour aspect of these uh, or, or the processed <laughs> nature of these fake meats, how how do you view that rise in that trend? Do, it, do you think there could ever be a time where beef burger is not your number one option on your menu sure i think yeah. like you know if that happens i think it's a good thing that we've got to that place yeah but i don't think i think i personally think that balance is is very important mm-hmm. um so on a menu we need to reflect that also we can't just be a, a meat restaurant um but likewise people that are vegetarian and vegan they need to mm. realize if they come to a, a place called the beef chief that mm-hmm. that's kind of a priority for us meat um likewise with coming to the tap room and asking for wine you know it's just not that place it's not represented in that mm. place so it's a fine line to walk mm-hmm. um uh but yeah i think like balance so having a bit of everything for everyone yeah basically but it's strange to think that uh in this day and age, people would well. In years to come, people might not want a beef burger, kind of thing, because it's been, like we said, it's been part of our, all of our lives since we first discovered fast food. I guess. I don't think that will happen. No. What people still always want a beef burger. I think so. Yeah. I think uh, yeah. I think that it may become more niche in its uh, approach to, you know, animal products. And I hope it does. I mean, as I say, I've got two children. Uh, my son, he doesn't really like me. And it, it's not uh, anything we've pushed on him. Mm-hmm. It's just something he doesn't really like it. And I, I encourage him to not like it, you know, mm-hmm. and to find other things to eat. And that's where the balance comes, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, cool. Balance a nice bridge to the beer. Yeah, sure. Good segue. <laughs> nice. I'm getting into this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We need like a, a, a triangle. To <laughs> ding, like it's time to send this beer review. Now, what do you think, Simon? You try it's it really bit. delicious. Yeah. It's really nice. Um, Would you say it's balanced, this one? Yeah, definitely. I think you get like the, the burnt nature of the malt base. Um, and the bitterness of the hop works really well together. It's yeah. not one thing overpowering. I think it's a very... Uh, Definitely has a bitter end. Huh? Mm. Yeah, it comes uh, the at flavor. the end, um, but not at the beginning. Yeah, mm. I, I th- yeah, it's delicious. Yeah. It's a delicious also beer. Also a rich, creamy head. I really love that. Could I ask a yeah. question? So, yeah. porters, are they, are, they, are they slightly sweeter <laughs> normally? I think in my association with porters, often they're a little bit more sweet. Yeah. What's the difference between a porter and a stout? Uh, great question. Uh, there's a couple <laughs> of answers possible. I think it, in the end, it really depends on the brewer's interpretation of it. Like historically speaking, there was a thing called porter and stout was just, um, uh, an indicator of strength. So it was, um, uh, Guinness, the most famous stout was actually Guinness, uh, uh, extra stout porter you know right, so yeah. a stout was just mm-hmm. you also had pale stouts so because stout it, was just stout. being stronger basically yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah um so porter was the dark beer but i think nowadays if you would ask me uh, if i design a porter recipe i would go for more uh chocolatey bready toasty flavors uh, and uh, aim for a bit more residual sugar. And a stout, I would make a bit drier, drier yeah. and more coffee roasted uh, flavors from the malts. So mm. pork is, is then slightly less dark, slightly less black. This is, I think, a pretty dark example. The kernels export India porter. Uh, and I think also what makes this, I don't know, I think they based it on uh, sort of old... Uh, right, yeah. uh, old that's London what my notes recipes. say inspired by port recipes of the 1850s that were sent to India yeah. with modern hopping regimes exactly so yeah. Pacifica and Galaxy 
as hops and a lot of dry hops i'm sure in yeah. this one the the aroma is super fruity uh and uh almost like a black ipa mm -hmm. or it is essentially i would say a black yeah. ipa uh, so dark but also very uh much uh, hop character and um yeah I, yeah then there's definitely the malt and the bitterness from the from the high hopping rates which mm. uh historically probably were also the case back in those days mm -hmm. Were you drinking many uh, stouts and porters in your London days, Simon? Definitely. Yeah? Yeah, I was in the shop the other day and I, I bought some London Pride. And like, it's nice to see that every <laughs> now and again. And uh, also a very good beer and the ESB. And like, yeah, I like the Fuller's beer yeah, and yeah. Mm. like the traditional ALE kind of things that are on offer in England. Best yeah. bitter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, me too. So let's talk sauce. Burgers cooking on the grill, let's say. Imagine it. What, how do we complement it? There's loads of different options that you could put on it. We spoke about a few and how you put kimchi on it. What is the ultimate sauce? Okay. Um, gravy mayo. Gravy mayo. That's a great image. Done. I'm having that. I'm having that. Um, um, yeah, I mean, again, it's a very divisive subject. Uh, when I first started in the truck, we had some pretty hardcore followers uh, most uh, quite a lot of which were American. And there was one girl in particular who wanted to kill me because we were putting mayonnaise in the burgers. Mm. She said that's just got no place in a burger. Mayo? Yeah. Um, um, some people really hate ketchup. I mm. mean, I, I'm, I'm also a little bit in that camp. I think it's very strong in flavour. I think mm. it can easily overpower a lot of the ingredients in a burger. So you mix them together, you've got burger sauce, right? Sure, yeah, with a few other things, mustard and, and horseradish and, and stuff like that. Yeah, sure. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't really know. I think mustard works very well in a burger. Mm, um, Complements the beef, I guess. Yeah, and, and burger sauce, like something what like a Russian dressing mm -hmm. that they would use in a uh, pastrami sandwich, mm -hmm. which is kind of your classic <coughs> um, ketchup, mayonnaise, mustard, mm. uh, paprika, apple cider vinegar, um, and horseradish kind of blend mm -hmm. that works really that goes really well we use that in the patty melt because um, it, it just it's savoury and I think like uh, you don't in, want to clash too much with the kimchi and the and no the... I mean the kimchi burger has a, a spiced mayo in it mm -hmm. um, we in an attempt to never be standard we put uh, chipotle through the ketchup that we use in the cheeseburger that we made do you make all your sauces homemade it uh, depends. Um, to make ketchup, you need a lot of tomatoes. Yeah. And when we were doing all the events, we would use 30 litres of ketchup in a day. Mm. Not, no, that's ridiculous. In a weekend. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's impossible to keep up with that production. Like, really, it's a lot of constantly making ketchup. So then we took the view to some things. Yeah, we don't always make the sauces. Mayonnaise particularly. Um in the truck, with the temperature fluctuations of the cooling, who would mm. take a chance for putting raw eggs in a mayonnaise and serving it? It's just not worth it. So we always took mayonnaise and then we put gravy in it or, mm. or sambal or, you know, we, we, we made it our own, mm -hmm. uh, but we didn't necessarily feel the, the need to make from scratch all the sauces. Some sauces are great from scratch. Mm. Um uh, Relishes and things like that, they're quite easy to make. Mm. Um, and you make your kimchi, right? Yeah, all the kimchi we make. I mean, we make everything, the pickles. We don't, yeah. we don't always make sauces from scratch, but we certainly blend things together to create the sauce. Yeah. And if you ever go in the cool cell where we store all our stuff, Sander will testify to this. You know, there's like hundreds, like we have like 15 or 20 different sauces that are constantly in stock mm -hmm. uh, for all the various products that we make because – uh, one product has one source. And are you getting these problem. these ideas from looking at all these food blogs and then trying them out in your own kitchen? Is yeah, how much experimentation that. Also just do you do? Eating with that? things and then yeah. figuring out, hey, you know, we're making a burger with kimchi. Uh, we need a fatty aspect on top of the meat. Yeah. Um, to complement the kimchi flavor mm -hmm. okay so then we look at sambals we can put sambal through mayonnaise instantly mm -hmm. tastes nice mm -hmm. all right how do we make it slightly different lime juice freshens it up uh sesame oil adds a kind of richness and nuttiness to it and then you have something that, that is kind of universal 
uh, goes really well on fries. Okay, then we have a product where we have synergy, where we can use one sauce on some fries and a burger. Mm-hmm. And that's how you start to build up menus by mm-hmm. sharing products and yeah, those kind of things. Did you, um, in your days in food truck or in the restaurant now or in the tap room, do you encounter that um, a lot of people come for novelties? In the beer scene, there's a bit of this thing going on, like a, a sort of novelties versus sort of classics. Do you... What's your opinion on that? Or what, what did you experience? Are people coming in for the thing you're known for or the, the classics yeah, or I think like, novelty, the, 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 the things that, that pull people in? Yeah, so when we, when we change the menu, yeah. always the most... Benno is there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he's definitely there. Uh, but always sort of... Shout the, out to Benno. The, the yeah, most, yeah, yeah, yeah. We love you, Benno. <laughs> um, always the, 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 the most outlandish kind of option becomes instantly the most popular the kimchi burger is is the constant that's always going and there's always people that don't really want much in it so they off they, they want the cheeseburger kind of thing but we always try and put something a bit more flamboyant on so at the moment we have the atomic zombie burger which is uh with bacon jam and with bacon mm-hmm. and with this carolinan style mustard-based barbecue sauce um and that's the most popular thing. So uh, there is people definitely mm-hmm. want the pecan mud milkshake right. beer, which yeah, is yeah, like yeah. lots of those kind of gimmicks thing. Again, great to have once or twice in your life, but that's not what you want. You want to come back to the thing, you know, the classic, the yeah, classic yeah. Porter or the IPA. Um, and, and I think like, so there's fun to be had in that kind of thing. I think uh, you can uh, get creative, entertain people, um, but that's not what your bread and butter is, really. I want to just be making classic ones, classic mm. really. Um, and, and as I say, if I ever open another restaurant, um, I think that that will be the theme. We'll go down a classic route. We'll mm. try and make really classical buffalo wings. Um, we'll do poutines. Uh, we'll do simple burgers with simple things. I mean, actually, I have to say at this point with toppings, I hate bacon. I've got the real problem with bacon mm. uh, on burgers um, because it's just a default. So if you put bacon on a burger, everyone just orders it. Uh, mm, really? They, Is that what you found? Oh, it's just, I stopped using it in the truck because of the greasy face thing. <laughs> um, and bacon obviously is quite a lot of grease. So what we would do is in the truck, we would start off by cooking off all the bacon crispy. Mm-hmm. But if you've ever cooked five kilos of bacon in a row, uh, you will know... <laughs> how dirty it is I can't say uh, it's bloody horrible <laughs> it's it's not very nice so we, we first we, we went away from that it was just too much hassle to clean the truck mm. after you've cooked your bacon mm. um uh, and as i say then you put bacon on the menu everyone orders bacon because the default burger i think in every man's head is the bacon cheeseburger mm-hmm. which isn't a bad thing and you can play around with that you can braise the bacon we did this dashy bacon thing that we like we cooked we 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 smoke bacon, then we put it in the oven in a in a dashi, uh, made it a little bit fishy tasting, and then we cut cut it really thick because it was then braised more like a ham, mm-hmm. um, and then grilled it and put it on top of the kimchi burger for one of the Oedipus beer festivals, I think. Um, oh, nice! So like we we, we like playing around with it, but yeah, it's a innovating. dirty ingredient. Yeah. I always found like you pay twelve euros a kilo for bacon. Yeah, and half of it you just scrape off and put in the bin because it's just fat. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. You thought there was right. better ways to yeah, do I that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think yeah. Uh, we, we, yeah, yeah, bacon. Let's uh, move on and talk about the only piece we've not spoken about. I think in the burger so far, which is the bun. What's special about your buns? Is the brioche bun still the way to go in making a good burger? Yeah. So uh, again, in my opinion, I think uh, a fortified bun, so something that's got a lot of fat in it, works mm. much better. It, it toasts better mm. and therefore retains moisture better. Yeah. Uh, so and we don't want it falling apart. That's no, the that, key that, to a yeah. And that was that was a big. Um, I'm going to name and shame. It was a big disappointment for me. So I remember going to London in 2013. There's a restaurant called the Hawksmoor, which is a very famous meat restaurant. Meat restaurant. There's one in Manchester as well. All oh, right. Yeah. yeah. So they started off in London, but they have they have farms mm-hmm. and they farm their own meat. 
and it's all nose to tail kind of thing in the in there. And a great story. It's 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 awesome. Mm. And they had like a thirty pound burger, thirty pound in in, in, in currency, in, in currency, not in <laughs> weight, money. Um, <laughs> and um, I was like super excited by this. It's like a pulp fiction moment. I want to have the thirty pound burger. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and like two bites in, it just disintegrated and fell on my plate. And I was like, "What? Why is that? That shouldn't happen, should it? Like, if you pay that much money, big burger faux pas here. The glue it properly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's not. It, it, it's not just about the meat for crying out loud. Mm. That's a very large part of the flavour. Mm. Actually, the bread should complement in flavour, but not overpower. Mm. In America, the classic one is a potato bun mm. made with uh, potato starch flour, mm-hmm. um, which is less known in Europe." But, but bakers do use it. Uh, it's just a flour substitute. Mm. Um, and the brioche is mentioned a lot. I think a brioche, a real brioche in its nature of a, of a brioche is is too milky. Mm-hmm. I think I got that right. And it, 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 it doesn't soak up. It soaks up too much moisture. Mm. So uh, I think most people talk about what they call a demi-brioche, which is a kind of the same idea, but it substitutes some of the richness for mm. water which creates more stability. Mm-hmm. Uh, so ultimately you want to toast it, get some caramelization. This was also a big point of discussion in the truck. People used to say, you're burning the bread. I'm like, no, we're, we're just charring it. Mm. No, no, you're burning it. No, no, we're charring it. Why mm. are you charring it? Well, that actually adds flavor. And I always was a firm believer that something that tasted toasty Mm. added this extra dimension to the to the to the burger it's free it's free flavor man mm. uh, i think yeah. uh, uh so um so toasting is very important becomes the barrier for the sauce soaking into the bun yeah um and um yeah holds it all together that's the most important part is that it's an, it's an underestimated part of the burger it's isn't so it important. it's so important and what I found with um, with bakeries in, in Holland is that most people, most bakeries are mechanised, um, and making brioche in a machine is really hard because it's very very sticky, more like a cake batter mm. than a dough. So most bakers didn't want to get involved with it at all. They just it was too much hassle. Mm-hmm. Um, there were there were some excellent bakers along the way, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I think we have a pretty stable product. If you ask all my staff and I agree with them, it's always different. It's the most unpredictable part of the product. Mm-hmm. It depends, like, if it's hot in the bakery or if the baker's got a hangover and he's paying <laughs> attention. Or, like, it, it, bread is a tough thing. Uh, I think uh, bakers have a hard time of, of consistency. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a whole episode about that. Yeah, we sure, did, yeah. I, yeah. I think <laughs> Elaine would agree uh, the same thing, that yeah. it's, it's hard and it's a living product. So it's the hardest thing that we've found to keep, uh, like, constant. Yeah, nice. And and that, that's the hardest thing about, like, running a burger restaurant, I guess a lot of restaurants, is the monotony of doing the same thing over and over. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite, I mean, you can find joy in repetition, definitely. Mm. Um, but it is a bit boring. And actually, to keep something high quality and constant, you have to complain all the time to people like it's not good enough this week we need it better or you haven't done it this right or you know still you haven't ground the meat or you didn't mix the fat through it properly or it's hard to keep something constant it's, mm-hmm. it's a bit of a labor of love um, i can imagine have you ever considered i think you spoke about this before but also with the example of the london restaurant have you ever considered doing everything yourself and then just sell way less or just once That's a month the question here get a farm with some cows <laughs> some oh, grains yeah, yeah i mean that would be um that'd be a great a great project um when you're retired but yeah there's a family to look after yeah. so we need to uh make a living um uh, so there's a ba- uh, i think you know a lot of fast food is is bought in cheap really cheap rock, rock bottom buy-in and sold for quite high prices um, so I think we have quite a good approach to that kind of thing of trying to keep something fun and enjoyable for ourselves, um, slightly progressive in the sense that we are, you know, trying to find good producers. Uh, also understanding, you you know this, Sandra, when you start a business, you know, you're, you're super green to it all. You, you take on a lot of information that people tell you. You have to sort through that information to find out, is this true? Like, you know, is this butcher just telling me this because he wants to sell this to me? Mm. You know, there's a lot of talk about, 
cattle breeds mm-hmm. and what they add to meat flavour. In Holland, there was this massive hype of this MRI, Maserainizel cow, mm-hmm. which is very specific to a certain part of Holland. And it has a lot of kind of Black Angus kind of um, makeup. It's quite a wet, fatty meat, so it goes really well in burgers and steaks. <coughs> but there's not much of it. Mm. So all these restaurants, when the first trend of MRI came around, they're all claiming to have MRI burgers. Mm. And I went to my butcher and I said, I want this too. And he was like, you can't have it. Why can't I have it? Well, there's just not enough of these cows around. And if you believe that X down the road has got it, he's lying to you. Because there's just not enough of it around. And so there's all this this thing about learning about what you want to do, what your approach is, mm-hmm. what the truth is. And there's loads of marketing in food and drink. People tell you what you want to hear most of the time. So right. that, that's also a big part of it, I think, like figuring out how you process the information and, and bring it into the simple product you're trying to make. I mean, you know, the burger is the most underrated thing ever. Yet mm. we can, at least for another hour, if you'll let me, talk about <laughs> it because there's infinite stuff to go into you know now it's time for the quiz this will be the last edition of the weekly quiz we're making room for some extra features where i'm excited to dive into some of the stories behind some more creative makers some familiar faces some new and also some oedipus stories remember you can get in contact with me via the address radio at oedipus.com but for now let's see how well simon does with the quiz like I say to every guest, the quiz is themed around you. So I've come up with some form of a topic based around you. And because I know you a little bit, I know that you're a big fan of cookbooks. So I've themed a quiz around cookbooks. I've got 10 cookbooks and uh, I want to know who they're written by. Oh it's God. a mixture of chefs and wannabe chefs. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, let's see how you get on. So question number one. Appetites. Who wrote that? Otolenghi? No, that was Anthony Bourdain. Oh, jeez. Number two, My Life on a Plate, recipes from around the world. I have no idea. That one's Khalees. That was Khalees. Khalees. Oh, yeah. that's a curve. It was milkshake. You've been <laughs> sitting on that for weeks, haven't you, you git? Well, now you... What's up you... with her? Uh, yeah, nothing. She's started uh, a food truck, isn't she, I think? Oh, yeah? Yeah, she did uh, one of the Lollapalooza things. Is she I selling milkshake? She... I think so. <laughs> um, no, she she started a food truck. I think she, she trained as a chef or something. Really? So there's a bit of a foodie background okay. in, in her thing. I watched something about her. Huh. All right, question number three. Plenty. Definitely Ottolenghi. That's Ottolenghi, correct. Uh, number four, from crook to cook. Who wrote that? Come on, Simon. I know this one, do I? I think I set the tone with the first uh, two questions, so now you know, like, the uh, realm of who we're dealing with here. But who wrote From Crook to Cook? I don't know. Bourdain. No, that was Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg wrote From Crook to Cook. Uh, Question number five. Further adventures in the search of perfection, (laughs) (laughs) which I think is a fantastic name for a book. Is that like Blumenthal or something? Correct, yeah. Heston Blumenthal, yeah. Yeah, once you realise that, you realise that he's a bit of a psychopath. Uh, <laughs> number six, whiskey in a teacup. Who wrote that? Uh, it's a her. <laughs> I'm just giving it away. And uh, I could give a clue that would give it oh, away. Let's I see how much you're struggling. I'm just... Uh, you could maybe... What's, what's it called? Uh, no. Um, American actress. Whiskey in a teacup. Whiskey in a teacup. I am just, I'm just not good at names. Well, you would, yeah. You could eat with her last name, let's say, Reese Witherspoon. Um, All right, okay. Yeah. Never know that. Uh, number seven, How to Eat. Cookbook that teaches you how to eat. Who wrote the book How to Eat? Which I also think is a great name for a cookbook. It's a bit like... Arrogant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, something to do with the Guardian. Yeah, you're on the you're on the right lines. Maybe you think of a chef who was very Guardian. A bit more, actually, a bit more Telegraph. Nigel, what's his name? Nigel Slater. No, no. Close. Nigella Lawson. Oh, okay. <laughs> Off a uh, point? No. No, no, no. no. 
Did she write Nigel. a book? How to eat. <laughs> Nigel. Yeah, yeah. Did she write that book? How to eat. How to oh eat, my yeah. god! Was it flirting at the fridge? I don't know. With the trifle at midnight. Question number eight: White heat. And this isn't written by Lou Reed. It's got to be something to do with barbecue. I Maybe. No I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. It's Marco Pierre White. White, white heat. White heat. Uh, question number nine: It's all good. Who wrote the cookbook? It's all good. <laughs> Every recipe in there is uh, good. It's all good. It's all good. Um, <clears throat> not necessarily known for a cookery. Her. I've given given you a couple of clues there. She says, yeah, but it could be any her in the world, <laughs> isn't it? It's not really a clue, is it? Um, uh, I I have no idea. Okay, that's uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. He's also written a couple of other cookbooks. It's It's All Easy as well, and The Clean Plate. Okay. (laughs) Also great names for cookbooks. And question number 10 uh, is Momofuku. Yeah, it's Chang. Yeah, David Chang. I've got three at least. Yeah, okay. So was it three out of 10, was it? Three out of 10. Uh, I'd want to mention, there is an honourable mention that goes to a a book I would like to have included in this quiz, but the title kind of gave it away. But it was Cooking with Coolio. Who is, uh, <laughs> is the self-proclaimed the ghetto the, gourmet? The gang, gang, yeah, the gangster burger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good name for a burger, right? Gangster burger. Here we go. You heard it here first. Yeah. But three out of ten. You're uh, right next to uh, Abel and Matthias and James. Yeah, good nice. company. Okay. Uh, but just finish off. Thank you very much, Simon. That was a pleasure. <laughs> and thank finish you, my beer. It doesn't happen yeah. all the time. It goes ah, in so it's easy. Very delicious yeah. beer. Eh? It's also yeah. a good daytime. Oh, yeah. So, um, one more thing before we go. Where can people uh, get your burgers at the moment? So, we are... I was on holiday last week, so we are regrouping, and we're going to start some delivery in North, but we're going to come up with some ideas with you guys, um, Oedipus, for some kits, which we hopefully will be able to distribute a little bit better this time. I think that Mm -hmm. was the hardest thing, distribution last time, getting them out into the city rather than just sitting here in North. Um, and we are thinking about doing something called Feast Chief. Ooh. All yeah, right. Just leave it out And, there, uh, yeah, people check you out on Instagram, social media. Yeah, that's the best way to find out. Ooh. Um, yeah, we might do some special things on a Friday and Saturday. Nice. Cooked and then delivered to your door. All right, nice one. All right, you heard it here first. All right. Thank uh, you very much, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Radio Oedipus podcast. A big thanks to Simon and also to Sander. Head over to the Beef Chief Instagram and website to get hold of some of his juicy burgers. He's doing DIY burger kits at the moment, so hopefully you feel inspired after listening to the Beef Chief himself. You can find all episodes of the show on our website, oedipus.com forward slash radio, and by searching Radio Oedipus on your podcast app. If you use Spotify or Apple Podcasts, make sure you like and subscribe to keep up to date. The music on today's show is written and composed by the one and only Ola I Music. And tune in next time for more explorations into the culture of beer. Beer.